So I haven't met you yet. My name is Erin, and I'm glad that you chose to be here tonight instead of at the Galen Center. I, it's a privilege to get to be with you guys tonight. So um, I would like to invite you to use your imaginations as we get started. Can you imagine being so hated after you died that 44 years after you died, what was left of you, your bones, that's probably it after 44 years, let's be honest, was exhumed and burned and scattered so that there would be no trace of your very existence. That kind of hatred, a hatred that I can't really even fathom. I'm a people pleaser by nature, and so I have done many ridiculous things in my lifetime to win the favor of people. But I'd like to begin tonight with a little history lesson, a brief snapshot of a man who didn't seem to struggle with people's pleasing, at least to the degree that I do from what I've read about him. I don't know a lot about him. I'm confident he had other issues in his life. He was not a perfect man. But we owe him a huge debt of gratitude. He was steadfast. He lived by his convictions, and he was hated for it. His ma this man's name was John Wycliffe. He was a philosopher. He was a reformer. And he was a preacher in the Middle Ages a long, long time ago. He was alive before the printing press, hundreds of years before the Protestant Reformation. He was so controversial because he attacked the religious powers of that day. He was so convinced to the very core of his being that the scriptures were the standard by which all church tradition, leadership, and doctrine should be measured. When scripture wasn't taught, it should be rejected. That was his firm belief. And that doesn't seem that radical to us today, but it was revolutionary then. His high view of scripture led him to translate the Bible. This is what he is best known for in church history. He believed that the Bible was the final authority on doctrine and practice. And he believed that the Bible should be accessible and available by everyone, including the common Englishman. So in Wycliffe's day, it was the Latin Vulgate was the main Bible available, and only copies were kept in the church. So even if he could gain access to it, the common Englishman couldn't read Latin and was forced to rely on the teacher of that day to explain their interpretation of the scriptures. So Wycliffe thought this was so unjust. And he argued for an English translation of the Bible. This is what he said. Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostles. So beginning in 1380, Wycliffe supervised the translation of scriptures from Latin to Middle English. All these copies were handwritten. Can you imagine how tedious and painstaking? What a slow, arduous process that would have been. And I love this about him, that he actually had a group make two translations. One was more idiomatic than the other, so it would appeal to a broader range of reading levels, knowing that in this day and age, liter illiteracy was very, very high. Sadly, he died before the translation was complete, but the men he worked with saw this project to the very end, and the world had its first Bible in English. What an accomplishment. Meanwhile, the loss of the monopoly of scripture was a serious concern to the church of that day. And the main church of that time period condemned the Wycliffe Bible. And anyone caught reading it was subject to heavy fines. 
persecution increased and some of Wycliffe's supporters were burned at the stake with the Bible around their neck. Can you imagine watching that from afar and thinking, those people had conviction. To be willing to die that awful, that gruesome of a death for the word of God. And what a debt of gratitude we owe to people. We won't meet the side of heaven, but they loved and treasured and valued God's word to the great extent that they died for it. A very horrific death. And the amazing thing is, the scriptures were out, right? People could read it for themselves. The people of the Middle Ages became more interested in scripture. Literacy rates increased. And Wycliffe died in 1384, over 500 years ago. But what a debt we owe to those men and women who paid such a huge price for the opportunity and privilege we have today to have little books that we can carry around in all different shapes and sizes and translations so accessible and available to us hundreds and hundreds of years later. So as we talk about reading the Bible tonight, we're talking about something that is an amazing gift, something that we don't think about every day because it's something that we can just grasp on our phone, on our tablet, on a computer, any on the radio you could turn it and probably find a station that's reading some sort of scripture. But did you know that there are people today in our world who do not have a translation of the scriptures in their language, in their heart language? And I was thinking, as I was praying for you guys, what if God would raise up some of you to go to the very ends of the earth and to translate this word in our English to their language, that they could read it in their heart language? What a gift you would be giving to people. What a fabulous use of your life, right? To open up the door for people to hear the gospel for the first time in the language that they understand and relate to. So that's what we're talking about tonight is reading God's word. We're following this illustration, this hand illustration that Neil started two weeks ago. And Jeremy talked about listening. And tonight I'm going to talk about reading. So we're going to just start with the basics on why read the Bible? Why is it a good idea? So number one, there's four points. Number one, because it's God's word to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like picture that, that phrase, God-breathed, that God's breath is breathed on the, every single page of this book to us. And as humans created it in the image of God, every single one of us wrestle with questions in our hearts and our minds that scripture has the answer to. You know, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? Is there life after death? Why is there so much evil in this world? Why is it so hard to be good? All these things and so much more answered in the pages of a book that's very accessible to us, but sometimes it's hard for us to actually get in it and read it ourselves. So the first thing is because it's God's word to us. The second thing is it's because God's word is eternal. In his book, he reveals himself. The Bible shows us his characteristics, his nature. We read who God is as he revealed himself through Jesus and through the pages of the Bible. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And Isaiah 14, 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, God doesn't change. And sadly, mankind's nature doesn't change either. His word is as relevant to us now as it was when it was penned. 
we know the world around us is changing so rapidly, right? We can't even keep up with it. It's just all the technological advances. What I learned in college is so outdated than what you're learning now. And that's gonna be true for you sooner than you think. I know you don't wanna think that way, but it's true. But though the world around us is changing, our desires don't change, right? Since the fall of mankind, all of us have been looking for satisfaction in something apart from God. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, there is nothing new under the sun. If we want to live the life that God created us for, then we need to listen, we need to read, we need to live in and under the word of God. So God's, why I read? Because it's God's word to us. God's word is eternal. He reveals himself to us in his word. And at third, as we read it, we can apply it and we become more like Jesus. You know, it's hard to obey it if we don't know what it says, right? James 1:22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then Proverbs 30 verse five says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Your life will prove scripture is true, whether you follow it or whether you don't. By following it or by not following it, you reinforce the warnings. And by following it, you prove the wisdom of God's word. So however you choose to live, your life will prove that God's word is absolutely true. And the final thing is, we read God's word in order to recognize false teaching. There's a lot of other reasons why we read God's word. I just chose these four. There are a lot of ideas that we come in contact with each and every day that are just bogus. They're totally untrue. Have you ever heard how bank tellers learn to identify counterfeit money? It's not by studying counterfeit money, right? That technology is changing all the time. Criminals are really smart. I'm sure you know that. Um, they break into cars and apartments and all sorts of things. But how they learn to detect counterfeit money is by studying the real thing, right? Over and over again, the feel of it, the weight of it, the design of it, the colors, all these different things. They expose themselves to the real money and then can far more easily recognize the counterfeit. The same should be true for us. God's word is true. The Bible tells us what God is like. It tells us that salvation is found in no one else apart from Jesus. Not any of my best efforts or good deeds, nor yours. So we can distinguish truth from error by knowing what is true. And God's word is true. So maybe a better question of why read the Bible is why don't we read the Bible, right? Like, we know we should read the Bible. It's like, I know I should eat broccoli, but I don't want to eat broccoli. I would much rather go and, you know, buy a churro and eat sugar all day long. But I know what's good for me. I just don't want to do it. So we've already talked about that as 21st century college students in America, it's available, it's accessible, and it's affordable. But it's really an issue of desire, right? Maybe one of the things that you would say is, oh, Aaron, I'm just too busy. Or I don't like to read. I only read what's assigned to me. Should I make, give you an assignment and then you'll do it? No. Um, or it's too hard to understand. It's irrelevant. It's outdated. I don't want to. Like, you're not going to convince me tonight, Aaron. I'm just going to sit here and take a nap. Um, but if, for those of you who are awake, I would like to invite you to ask God to give you a love for his word. 
and I promise you that he will. I will give you my life savings if he doesn't, which isn't a lot of money, but it would benefit you paying off those huge student loans. That God would ask, that you would ask God to give you just a heart for his word, that you would value it, that he would give you understanding of it. His Holy Spirit can do that. We're like, I don't even get what this is talking about. God can reveal himself to you each and every day through his word. Ask him to do that. So we looked at why read, and now we're going to look at how to read. The first thing I would recommend is to choose a Bible translation, a version of the Bible that is understandable and easy to read. The reality is, if we don't understand it, we're not going to read it. I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy reading books I don't understand. I feel like it's a waste of my time. It's just like staring at words on a page, and I'm not going to retain any information. And the Bible is this really interesting book because though I have a really small copy of it up here with me, you know, there's 66 little books in this big book, right? And it's written over approximately like 1,400 years by 40 different people and Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to get started. It's small, but it's just, wow, it's got a lot in there that I don't understand. And the Bible does address a lot of different topics, but from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, you see this crimson thread pointing to Jesus, the only way to have a personal relationship with God. So what I would encourage you to do is just to start with one book at a time to forego the approach that I have used. And let's be honest, you have to just like thumbing through and then like, this is the word of the Lord today. You're like, okay, like that's fine. But it's almost like, have you ever been in a conversation with friends and you're like talking, talking, you're telling this great story. And then someone else joins like five or 10 minutes in and they don't have any of the context. And then they make a comment and everybody looks at them. And like, why did you say that? Because they assumed some things. They had no context, right? But they assumed things that weren't true. This happens all the time with God's word. Is we just decide, oh, I don't have time today for a long reading. So I'll just open it up and be like, oh, okay. That must be what God has to say. I have no idea what that meant. So we're reading things out of context. So I would encourage you, work your way through one book at a time. Chapter one, verse one all the way down. And then like use a bookmark or a post-it note or a three by five card, mark your place. You could even like put a little tally where you finish so you remember the next day or let's be honest, the next time you decide that you're gonna pick this up again. But tonight I'm gonna convince you to do this every day. Um, just you wait. So it can be really helpful before you get started if you will like do a little bit of research before you start reading, there's a great website called thebibleproject.com. They also have videos on YouTube. Highly recommend. This man is a genius and he's very artistic and he has a really fun voice. And so he draws out the major themes and chapters of every book of the Bible. He'll tell you the audience, the author, the context. It's so helpful. For those of you who don't watch YouTube ever, which is 0% of you in this room. If you have a study Bible, also that's at the beginning of every book of the Bible. If you have like a bigger study Bible that has a lot of notes in it, but it's a lot more enjoyable to read and, or to watch this video than to read but every single book of the Bible. So that will really help you understand what you're reading because you know more about what's going on in that particular book of the Bible. So highly recommend that. And I would say if you're new to this, I would start reading in the Gospel of John. It's going to be towards the end of the Bible. You can look at the index to find the exact page. But John was a really close friend of Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He tells just great eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his interaction with people. Great place to start Gospel of John. And then there's Acts, which is kind of the history of the launch of the early church. Fascinating read. And then keep going with Romans. You can just keep going. See, it's easy. Just keep going. Or if you have 
questions about where to get started, you can talk to your life group leader or a staff member, but I would say just get started. But as you are getting started and building this habit, say before you sit down, or maybe as you're sitting down, just to pray and to invite God into the time, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to give you understanding. And then as you, after you read a paragraph or a chapter, pray at the end. But it's really important to kind of, to read, to, as you get started reading, to kind of have the Bible with you. I recommend not on your phone, just because, you know, all the pop-ups, it's very distracting. So do not disturb on the phone, far away, maybe charging, give your phone a break in another room, and then pick up a personal copy of the Bible. If you need a Bible, let me know, we can get you a Bible. So pray as you get started. I like to read with like a notebook and a pen on this side and like my planner on this side because never do I think of more things that I need to get done than when I sit down to be quiet and still. So it's just like my mind starts racing. So this is for the, okay, can I do this, 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 and then this is for, okay, how am I seeing God at work? Who is God revealing himself to be in this passage? So application is key. We want this time to really apply God's word to our life, not to just impart knowledge. First, Corinthians 8.1 says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. We don't want to be people who beat up other people with our knowledge. We want to be people who love and love well and love deeply and love with Jesus' love, how he loved us. And we can do that with his help. So I would encourage you as you begin reading to ask these two questions. Maybe write them down tonight and then you can transfer them to a little notebook or journal. And as you begin this habit of reading, ask these two questions. What does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about how I should live? So what does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about how I should live? Because the reality is we're not just reading to read. You're not reading just to check off something on a to-do list. You're reading to encounter God and to apply it to your life, what you're learning. So the last thing over um, how to read is just for the reminder that change and growth and a deeper understanding and awareness happens incrementally over time, just like healthy eating or your bank account or exercising incrementally over time, you're going to really see dividends pay off. And so I would encourage you, oftentimes when I get back in the exercise rhythm, I'm like, a good hour will work. I'm like, oh, my body can't take that. So start with what's manageable. Start with 10 minutes. And I guarantee you over time, you're going to want to spend more than 10 minutes reading scripture. So so we looked at why, we looked at how, and we're going to, the next thing we're going to look at is just attitudes to have while reading attitudes to have while reading. First thing I would say is read expectantly. You know, read carefully, read hopefully, read expectantly to meet the holy and living God who wants to reveal himself to you, to hear him and to encounter him. Just think about this. Think if you had an opportunity to meet like someone amazing in your professional field. I don't know who that would be, um, but you were so excited to meet them, right? You would probably not be rolling out of bed and just barely awake. You would be fully caffeinated, charged, prepared, ready to go. You would probably have questions prepared, maybe not, or you would definitely have a pen and a notebook to write down things that are being said. And so just reminding yourself of having that kind of mentality. You get to meet with God. What a privilege. So ask questions. Okay, who wrote this? Who's the author of this book? Who is the audience? Is this a parable? Is it a letter? Is it history? Is it prophecy? Oh, if it's poetry, I'm lost. Like, I'm really lost with that one. But asking questions so you know better how to read, right? And some of you who are more familiar with the Bible, sometimes familiarity can just lead 
to just being detached while you're reading. You're not paying attention, you're just reading to read. But I would encourage you to ask questions and to use your imagination. Like one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is in John 21. It's after Jesus has been crucified and he's appearing to his 12 and they're out fishing. And so I would use your imagination and like thinking, Jesus on the shore and there's fish on an open flame. Like, what would that smell like? To me, that would probably make me nauseous in the morning, like I can't imagine. But these are fishermen, they're pulling, that'd be a really exciting smell, right? Think about, what would the colors be like as the sun is rising over that region? That's amazing. Or what would the sound of the waves be like? Or can you imagine what it would be like to watch Peter be reconciled with Jesus after denying him three times? What an emotional moment that would have been to be a bystander at. So put yourself in there, use your imagination, and it really will help you engage in God's word in a different way. So read expectantly. The second thing is to read humbly. Read with a heart to accept instruction and correction, eager to learn, learn what God has for you today, but also being honest, like not pretending, not being like, I have to put on this front to meet with God. Be honest, I'm struggling. God, I don't wanna be here. I'm distracted, I have so much going on today. or I'm having a hard time believing that this is true. I really don't know that this is real. He already knows that anyway, you're not informing him of anything he doesn't already know. So humbly coming back day after day, knowing that I need help, that I have so much to learn, but to continue to show up when I'm confused, when my questions seem to outnumber everything else that I'm thinking or my doubts, to come back and realize that, that I need to feast and to feed myself on this word to nourish my soul just like I nourish my tummy. I've got to nourish my soul and it happens through his word. And the last thing I would say is to read intentionally, to read intentionally, reading with intention of being prepared to act. A preset determination that says, I will obey. Psalm 119, 59 through 60 says, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. So reminding yourself that reading the Bible isn't a rule, you're not like breaking the rules if you don't, but it's a tool used by God to transform us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. I need him more than anything else. So part of my personality is, if you've ever taken those personality tests, I'm a woo, which is called winning others over, which means if I eat at a restaurant or I read a book or I have a new favorite thing, everybody knows about it. I can't keep it to myself. And so when I got back from Oklahoma in January, I'm, I'm always late to the party. I'm not like, a, a, you know this about me, I'm not a trendsetter. I'm never going to be at the, the cutting edge of fashion or anything. But I finally read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Have you guys read it? So good. You guys have to read this book. So, um, and this was before I knew even what I was speaking on. I've actually told many of you this story because I'm just like, have you read this book? It's such a great book. Oh my gosh, I read this book. It's so great. Um, so anyway, as we close, I want to talk about how to get started in reading God's word, but using James's idea because James is a genius and Aaron is not. So this is James's work, James Clear, giving all the credit. This is chapter two. If you want to read it, highly recommend this book. It is not a Christian book, but it is a very helpful book. So I'm going to pass on to you what I learned from James about getting started and reading the Word of God. This is what he has to say. He says, all levels of change are useful, but we usually focus on what we want to achieve, which are outcome-based habits, right? But we need to focus on identity-based habits. 
who we wish to become. That's key, who we wish to become. Most people don't consider identity change when they set out. They just think, I wanna be skinny, which is outcome, right? So I'll follow this diet, which is the process. But they don't realize that their old identity can sabotage their plans for change, right? So true behavior change is identity change. Improvements are only temporary until they become part of who we are. So the goal is not to read a book. The goal is to become a reader. The goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. Makes sense, right? So he says identity change is the north star of habit change. I bolded this and it's highlighted in yellow on my sheet. So I would encourage you to write this down. This is what he says. Am I becoming the type of person I want to become? Am I becoming the type of person I want to become? The first step to this is not why, and it's not how, but it's who. Who do you want to become? We need to know who we want to be, right? You're not just like, I'm just getting a degree, that's who I am. That's not who you are, you are so much more than that. So it says, otherwise, our quest for change is like a boat without an udder, rudder, not an udder, that's a cow, a rudder, um, and then you're just floating aimlessly and everyone else is getting nauseous watching your life just float without purpose and meaning. But he was talking about how our identity is not set in stone. We decide who we want to be, right? I can choose the identity I want to reinforce today with the habits that I choose today. And he says this, habits matter. It's not, I love this, it's not about littering your life with life hacks. I love that. It's like, yeah, there's all these like hacks. Like if you do this, you'll save five minutes. I was like, no, that doesn't work, these life hacks. He says, it's not about achieving external matters of success. Yes, habits can help you lose weight, become healthier, all these different things. But fundamentally, they aren't about having something, but becoming someone, right? It's all about who we are becoming. Habits matter because they help me and they help you become the person that you want to be. I become my habits. Repeat that. I become my habits. Tattoo that on. Put it on your alarm clock. No, you don't use alarm clocks. On your phone before you go to bed. I become my habits. So focus not on what we want to achieve, i.e. like, Say you want to achieve like reading the Bible through in a year. Don't focus on that. Focus on who you want to become. My suggestion would be, I want to become someone who knows and loves and follow God and his word. So I'd like to close with that question. Who do you want to become? Because James Clear makes it very clear in his book. The every action in our lives is a vote for the kind of person you want to become. Every action is a vote for the kind of person you want to become. So do you want to become a person who knows and loves and follows God and his word? The choice is up to you. The choice is up to me. No one's forcing you to do it, right? So I'd encourage yourself to ask this question. What does a person who wants to know, love, and follow God and his word do? What do they do? I'd submit one thing. One thing I think that they may do is that they make a regular habit of reading scripture. Naturally, there are gonna be a lot of other things that they do, but I think that would be a great place to start. Just saying, I'm not James Clear, I'm Aaron Gillum. I will never write a book about habits, but I submit that idea to you. So in this series, as we've been talking about living in God's word and living under God's word, we're working our way through this hand illustration with listening and reading. Each one of those fingers represent actions 
and habits that are a vote on who you are becoming. So to wrap up, just to remind, the Bible was never meant to just inform us. The Bible was meant to transform us. And I want to end with this scripture that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in Greece a long, long time ago. And this is what I pray will be true of your life and will be true of my life. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. Through the Holy Spirit, the word of God works. It works to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So let's praise God for the gift of his word. Father, we are just humbled and amazed that you would breathe these words out and that we, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, would be able to read them and apply them to our life. Thank you for preserving your word. Thank you for courageous men like John Wycliffe and others who we will never know their names, but owe a tremendous debt of gratitude for their example and their courage to stand strong in the face of opposition and to value your word. I pray that we would be people who would value your word, that we would live in it, we would live under it, it would characterize our lives, and we would be people who would be marked by the time that we spend in your word. Would you give us a deep love for it and that we would carve out time in our schedules each and every day to be in your word. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Aaron. Could we give it a prayer? Would y'all stand?